It is the 200 level episode 349, Mike Carpenter in the basement studio on a Tuesday evening about to talk to the one and only Harry Black. Before we get into the opening segment, I want to let you know that we have new 200 level merch. Here's how you find it. Go to our Twitter profile or X profile, whichever, at the 200 level, and we have a pinned post for a pre-order for our new hoodie. This is a navy soft cotton hoodie, high quality stuff, great screen printing with our logo. It's got the Illini colors, so whether you're in Memorial Stadium or the State Farm Center as we get into fall and winter, this hoodie will be perfect. So again, 200 level hoodie, pre-orders are available now through Sunday, September 16th. No money down. You won't have to pay a thing until we have these in hand ready to either ship it outside of Champaign-Urbana or deliver it for free in Champaign-Urbana. So that is on our Twitter or X profile at the 200 level. We got a mock-up. You'll see exactly what it looks like. Excited to get some new swag out there for the listeners. So there you go. That's it for the consumerist angle of the 200 level, at least until we get to the sponsors, which we appreciate them. But for the opening segment, I wanted to focus on the game ahead with Kansas and kind of being informed by what happened last Saturday. Now, as the week has went on and I've reflected on what the heck Saturday was and also what it was not, I am unsure, as we all are, I think, going into Friday's game. And in all fairness... I think we could have seen any number of performances last Saturday. And knowing that you're going into this raucous home environment, a game that Kansas has circled for a long time. They got the black uniforms. They're busting out for it. There there will be some national attention on this thing, too, for good reason. All of these circumstantial things around it wouldn't make you feel great anyway. But it was the lack of line dominance that we, we thought we'd see against Toledo that I think really has us a little bit skittish. So I want to start with, let's call it a negative, let's call it a concern, or an unknown for something we thought would be a known. You can win Friday against Kansas in a tough environment if the line play is improved from last week. Exponential improvement? I don't know. But at least a little bit. I got to think this offensive line, if they're just a little bit better, they can hold their own against Kansas's not-so-vaunted defensive line. But where this game will really be won, I think, will be the defensive line and their ability to contain or actually more to the point, get to Jalen Daniels, something they were not able to do against Finn on Saturday. Now, this also includes the outside linebackers who played pretty poorly, if we're being being honest about it. And there were the PFF grades that come out every Sunday after these college football games. PFF is pro football focus. And... I'm going to give you some of the highlights on defense. I got to think the field pass, which is one of the Illini boards podcasts. They found this collection of the top Illini week one PFF grades. Now you can guess number one, safety miles, Scott, I'm going with defense right now. And then you have to go down a little bit to find the next rated guy. By the way, miles Scott was a 91.6, which means elite. That's like best of the best. 100 is the top score you can get for PFF. Xavier Scott got a 71, which is still pretty good. And then you got to go down to Tyler Strain, who got a 69.9, which is pretty good as well. T-Rod Edwards got a 69.2. So now we're in that kind of above average, solid range. Denzel Daxon got a 68.2. Keith Randolph, because I think of a strong second half, got a 67.8. Clayton Bush in his first start, an okay 66.7. But you know what you don't see in this list is you continue to go down and down and down. 
You don't see Johnny Newton. And that's unacceptable. You don't see Seth Coleman. You don't see Gabe Ackes. So while Keith Randolph did show up in that second half against Toledo, those other names I just mentioned did not. If they show up on Friday, I think you got a pretty good chance. And by show up, what does that mean? Well, if we're talking line play, I do think effort means something. In looking back at the replay and seeing some of these gifts kind of float around Twitter and the push that Toledo was getting on the offensive line or their offensive line on our defensive line, that was a shock. And it happened way too much. So if we're starting with the concern, the negative going into Friday, it all comes down to something that was quite good through most of last year, something that helped you win games. And sure, the defensive backfield helped out too, but you know what? Their job was aided by a really good defensive line. In a way, doesn't it make it all the more impressive that your secondary was as good as they were Saturday, despite the front seven being mediocre at best? If they can up their game, I'm excited to see how the secondary can respond. I think they can hold their own. Now, Kansas, I'm sure, has better weapons on the outside. They will be tested as a secondary more than they were against Toledo. But I would like to think that can be offset by the front seven, at least getting in the face of Jalen Daniels, at least being more aggressive. And, you know, some of that comes down to schematics, for sure. I think that if you played a cleaner game on Saturday, you still win by a couple scores. So that can't entirely be put on Aaron Henry. And there were some adjustments. It looked like going into the second half, there was a bit more push. There was a bit more aggressiveness. I think you need to come out a little more aggressive on Friday. And don't worry. Yeah, you'll probably get gashed a couple, two, three times. It's Jalen Daniels. He does that against even really good defenses. But you've got to do anything you can to disrupt him. This is his first game of the year. He's going to be very good, no doubt. But being the first snaps that he's taken this year, maybe there's a little bit of rust. Maybe you can disrupt any early rhythm that he tries to get going. But it all comes down to the defensive line. Offensive line, keep Luke Altmaier upright because when you do, he's really good. He was your fourth highest scored player on the PFF grades at 71.3. Your top offensive playmaker, 79.9, which is a very high grade, Pat Bryant who was very good. Casey Washington at 70.8. That's pretty good. Isaiah Williams got to go down a bit to 65.3, but this is where you feel good going into Friday. You have a quarterback who has pretty good, I use this word on Sunday, simpatico with his three wide receivers. And we'll see about the depth of that position. I think Hank Beatty will get some reps. I think Malik Elzey will find his role on this team. But Friday night, game two, probably not. It's going to be those three guys. What I'm anxious to see is Barry Lunny, who had a great game, mind you, other than I think the fourth and one and the two-point conversion hook and ladder thing. I think it was a great game for him on Saturday. Also, your red zone offense, four for four, three touchdowns and a field goal. Very good, right? These are all improvements. I will be interested to see if he lets Luke let it fly a little bit more early in the game and do the old switcheroo, you know, setting up the run with the pass. I don't know how feasible that is, or how often that's actually done. But if you have an efficient passing offense, you don't need to insist on running it quite as much. I think Reggie Love has enough bouncy ability to get some yardage. We'll see about Josh McCray. The jury, unfortunately, is still out on him, though it was only one game this season. But your bread and butter right now is your passing game. You have a really good quarterback. You have three pretty good wide receivers that are sure-handed, and they can catch in traffic. I will be anxious to see in these games where you might have the tendency to want to shorten them with these new clock rules. 
And I would imagine Brett Bielema would. How aggressive are you? Listen, if you score 30 points, you got a chance to win this game. I do think the defense will have a bounce-back performance. I think 30-plus points offensively can win you this game. At least it should be able to. Even against a good offense like Kansas, defense, bounce back, offense, get 30-plus. That's the recipe to victory. I think it can be done, and then you mix in with that, getting back the battle of time of possession, being that kind of offense that can both score but control the ball as well. The most beautiful example of that last year was at Wisconsin. Some of the better performances last year were on the road at Nebraska, a sneaky good performance after a bad first quarter, or yeah, not very memorable first quarter at least. I think that this team getting away from home and having to play that underdog role again suits them well. Now I'm going to save a pick until I talk with Harry. We'll end our segment making a pick for the Kansas game, and I'm torn as I record this opening segment, I'm torn between what my gut says, which is throw out everything you know about college football and throw out especially the notion that what happens week one has a whole heck of a lot to do with week two. That actually we know is not always the case. We know that there can be tremendous change from week to week for any team, not just Illinois. My, that's what my gut's telling me. Go, go with that. Go with the intangible weirdness of college football and say, you know what? Illinois is going to play well. They're going to win. And then my head, which says, hey, this is still a road game in a tough environment with a team that is figuring itself out. And that might be the more likely thing here, right? But as good as Kansas is offensively and all the returning guys, and I think they basically do return everybody, they're probably feeling the way that we did when Kurt Kittner and all those wide receivers came back. Understandably, they are excited for it. But I do think there are two different brands of football here between what Illinois played last year in the Big Ten and the Big 12 with Kansas. And I will be interested to see how those competing styles look against one another. It'll be weird, I'm sure. And there might be a feeling out process early in the game. But I also get the idea this is going to be a pretty exciting and entertaining Friday night. And I know this, regardless of the score or margin, if you win, we are ecstatic. I hope to goodness that when Isaac Ambrose, because Trevor can't make it, when Isaac Ambrose and I are watching this game, I hope that you watching on the YouTube feed or listening to us on the YouTube feed get to share in some joy on Friday night because that would be a big win. Not just to get your second win of the season and be that much closer to bowl eligibility with some very winnable games in the Big Ten West and Indiana. Don't forget about them. And Florida Atlantic, even though, hey, they aren't going to be terrible. They got some talent, including apparently... As Trevor said in our text thread, Casey Thompson, the old Kansas, or sorry, Nebraska quarterback, which we played last year until he got hurt. I digress. You win Friday. You're feeling great. You should feel great. That would be a very big win. It would get some talking points on the Saturday morning shows as people would say, hey, Illinois with a big win last night in Lawrence, Kansas in a tough environment, and they host Penn State next week. The beauty of this game, the short week, Being the underdog, the bright Friday night lights in Lawrence, Kansas, the big deal that they're making out there for this game, it is impossible for the Solani team, I'd like to think at least, impossible for them to overlook it for Penn State. They got a whole extra day to do that. Why look forward to Penn State when you got a really big one right now? And I will be excited to see how they respond. And you know what? I, I lost my bet, unfortunately. The bet that I think I made with Trevor or maybe Jeremy, or maybe all of the preseason podcasts we did. I said that Brett Bielema 
was going to make a point at the press conference that he had yesterday. That after week one, he was going to make that point that, hey, last year, week two, we were 1-0. We won on the road on Friday night. And we remember how it felt to walk out of Bloomington, Indiana, feeling the way we felt. He did not say that. So I wonder if he's saying that within the Smith Performance Center. Maybe he's not as much of a revenge-driven guy as I thought. But I got to think that for all the veterans on the team, they remember that. And it's weird how the beginning of last season, home opener on a Saturday, tough road game the next Friday on short rest, how that mirrors each other. So it's a big one. Excited to talk with Harry Black about what happened Saturday against Toledo. Excited to talk with him about a huge game coming up Friday. Before we get to that, I want to remind you, the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe, online at dpdoe.com. For all the best deals and prices, dpdoe.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana, including, uh, let's see, business lunches. If you want to get something like that, you don't even need to go on campus. They'll bring it to your business. They can bring you dinner, a dinner calzone, anywhere you live in Champaign-Urbana, or you know my personal favorite, late at Friday night when you've had a few and you've celebrated the Illini victory, a celebratory calzone, that is dpdoe.com. Also, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Life, auto, home, business renters, you name it, Brian is my guy, and he, he can be your guy as well at brianismyguy.com. We've got this new thing called Ting, which is T-I-N-G. It monitors your home electrical system. Let's you know if there's anything that might be an issue. For an old home like ours, that's a huge benefit to have, and it's free through State Farm. This is just one of the many benefits you can get. So go online to State Farm agent Brian Hansen at brianismyguy.com. Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing, your home's best friend. Give them a call at 217-841-4728 to get your furnace check scheduled before the temperatures cool off. Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing, they'll come here in early, mid-October to get our furnace check done. I have noticed that even in these hot and humid days, they did our AC check back in the spring. Our home has never been cooler. They just did a couple quick little tinker. They said, okay, there's one coil here. I don't know this kind of stuff, but they do. All I know is our AC has been running better than it ever has. And I got to think it's thanks to Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. That's 217-841-4728, Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. And finally, Owen Builders LLC at owenbuildersllc.com. You go to the website, check out the gallery of all the things that they've done, decks, patios, home additions, kitchens, bathrooms, very versatile, great craftsmanship, and being a smaller company, they have a very personalized touch. They are great with customer service, great at communication. You probably have horror stories about contractors. We all have, where they're just not good at that communication thing. I know for a fact that Luke Owen and the guys at Owen Builders LLC are tremendous at it. So you know you're working with good people that you can trust, and they're great craftsmen to boot. OwenBuildersLLC.com. One more thing, cool thing this weekend in Campus Town, Campus Town Street Fest, brought to you by the Champagne Center Partnership. This is from 1 to 7 on what looks to be an absolutely gorgeous Saturday. Live music, vendors, food. They call this the Chow Down in Campus Town. Love the name. Also brought to you by the City Champagne, JSM Living, and of course the Champagne Center Partnership. That's the Campus Town Street Fest Saturday from 1 to 7. Thanks to Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Thanks to you. Hey, if you haven't rated, rated and reviewed us on Apple Podcast, I know some of you have in the last couple of weeks. Thank you. A rating and review takes you just a minute. It really helps us get discovered by new Illini fans. And uh, I'll promote that hoodie one more time. But yeah, we got 200 level swag on its way, which you can find on our Twitter at 
the 200 level. We'll have it pinned. It's a pre-order form, no money down. You'll see a mock-up, and we'll have it in time for the Illinois-Nebraska game, which, hey, if you wanted to, you could come to the 200 level tailgate in Lot 31 that evening, and we'll have them ready to go if you want to pick them up there. Okay, so Harry Black is going to join us, and we have, boy, oh boy, lots to talk about, and I'm so excited to get into this. We plan on doing this Tuesday nights. We got done with our segment, was it two weeks ago with Harry? And after we got done recording, no, actually, it was on it was on the podcast as we were talking. I said, hey, you, you want to do this again? And then we texted that night and decided, well, let's just do it Tuesdays. Tuesdays with Harry. So this will be a recurring thing. And, uh, you know, I, I like listening, for example, to Jay Lehman with Jeremy Warner. I like picking the brain of people that have actually played football. Now, Harry, yeah, was he an All-American like Jay Lehman? No, he was not. But this guy did go through... The ringer that college athletes go through as a walk-on under Tim Beckman at Illinois. He paid his dues. He's one of the hardest-working guys I know. And very astute football mind. And it's always fun to dig into not just the X's and O's of what we see on the field, but also kind of the mental component of being a student-athlete. Which, hey, the most of these guys, they still are, truly, student-athletes. I don't throw that term around very much. But being in the middle of a season going through the roller coaster that they go through and how do they respond to, yes, it was a win, but what is the overall temperature in that building? Do they think they got away with one? Do they still feel like they're the greatest team on earth and that they can go into Kansas and play the same kind of game? I get the feeling that Harry might have a better idea of what that might be. Sure. It's all speculative, but he's been in those locker rooms before. So every Tuesday, Harry Black here on the 200 level, and let's bring him on, talking Toledo and Kansas, the one and only Harry Black. Okay, Harry, we're 1-0. and That's the important thing. But I was listening to Jay Lehman earlier this week on Jeremy's podcast, and he said something that struck me, and it made a lot of sense. He said that last year after the Indiana loss, he felt better about the direction of the team than he did after the Toledo win. And I think his point was the dominance that we displayed on the lines against Indiana. We just happened to shoot ourselves in the foot too many times. Well, we shot ourselves in the foot plenty against Toledo, but I want to start with you, the offensive lineman. What the heck happened up front? And let's start with offensive line that couldn't quite get the push on run, running the ball. And then they didn't do a great job protecting Altmaier either. Yeah. The, the running, the running off the, um, the run blocking was concerning. And when I was watching it through the first time, the first drive, it really seemed like they had their stuff together. They had some cool wrinkles. They had that one play, I think it was to uh, Isaiah, where they're running left, and then it's pitched back, and he goes back. Like, you got two guards pulling over to the right, and he had a crease right there. But for the most part, it just seemed like, A, yeah, you weren't getting much of a push, which is concerning when you're playing a team – I don't care how highly they are ranked in the MAC. As a matter of fact, I think I looked at the AP poll. They received more votes going into week one than you did, which is wild. So they're a good team, but it doesn't matter. You're a Big Ten team. They're a MAC team. You should be getting pushed when you're running the ball. But I also think some of it has to fall onto, I mean, and again, not a running back. I'm, an, I'm a not former offensive lineman. But it just seemed like they weren't hitting the hole with the same ferocity that we had guys hitting the hole last year. Um, now, obviously, that guy who was doing that is in the NFL now. But for the most part, it did seem like they weren't maybe hitting it as quickly as they should have been. The, the, the 
the pass blocking, I thought for the most part, I thought was better than the run blocking. But towards the end of the game, you really kind of started to see it fall, fall apart. Thank God Luke Altmaier knows how to like pull a rabbit out of his hat. We could talk about that. I'm sure we're going to talk about him as this podcast goes on because, my God, the takeaway from that that you see a lot of people having is we have a quarterback now. Um, but, yeah, that's something you got to work on because Kansas doesn't have a great uh, great defense, but going through the rest of the year, Toledo's not the best defensive line that you're going to have to go up against. That is true, and we're going to talk plenty about Luke Altmaier because he really is the, the positive to take away with a few others. Question about the offensive line, because I've heard a few people posit this idea that because you did have two new pieces in Krutz and then at right guard, you had Geske. You had Chrysler starting at right tackle, and he did get quite a bit of playing time last year, but you still, as a collective group of five, are seeing them together for the first time. How long might it take for that to coalesce? If it, if it does, and I'm assuming, given that you know Bart Miller's track record and Brett Bielema's track record, it will come together. But how quickly? I will say that is something that almost seems, and I'm not saying you're saying this. The idea of like like players playing next to each other coming together, it almost seems like a one of your favorite terms, like a meatbally concept. But it's 100% a real thing. I remember when I was, um, I think I was a sophomore or a junior, we had Austin Schmidt and uh, Ted Karras were on one side of the ball. And beginning of the year, they, I mean, Ted knew what he was doing, but Austin, you could tell he had a little bit of, you know, some growing pains going into uh, that first year as, of a starter. So it must have been as a sophomore. Um, and as the year went on, by the end of the year, they were, like, getting pushed on anyone they were going up against. That must have been 2014 because I remember the offensive line was really starting to pick up as we were getting some of those wins towards the end of the year. Um, but yeah, I mean that it'll take some time. I hope it doesn't take until the end of the year. But as these guys start to play more alongside each other, you can tell how much of a push maybe the you know if you're the tackle, how much of a push the guard gets, how much you need to maybe lend help on double teams um, or on pass pro, how quick you can leave a defensive lineman to go give another guy help. Um, it's going to take some time. I would say there's no real timetable. I would say if you're waiting for the offensive line to really reach its full potential, it's probably unfortunately not going to be until it, like halfway through to the latter half of the year. I guess the good news with that is that you do have a couple of your tougher opponents in the second half of the year. You have a three-game stretch with, I believe, well, that's the Maryland, Wisconsin, and Minnesota stretch. And then you do have Iowa in the last three games. And early on, other than Penn State, I'd like to think that you match up well enough in the trenches, but I kind of thought that going into last Saturday's game, and that was one of the biggest areas of concern. How much of it, and this might seem like a very vague question, but how much of it is effort? And and maybe this will lead us a bit more to defensive line, because it seems like defensive line, they're the ones pushing forward. They are the ones attacking forwardly at something all the time. So how much of a lineman's job is pure effort uh, it's i mean i'm speaking more on offensive line right now obviously i haven't played defensive line since since high school and uh maybe some of my bias is going to come out here because i'm an offense you know former offensive lineman but i think a, it, it's a good amount for offense or defense um but you also you got to know what you're doing a lot of time the problem on offensive line comes from maybe you know the bolts are, are firing everything's going on around you 
you need to know, okay, what are my responsibilities if it's a running play or a passing play? And when you're out there and it's game speed, a lot of times you just kind of fall back into whatever your instincts are. And that's a lot of times what the coaches are trying to spend all training camp to coach you out of is to not do maybe the things that you're comfortable with doing because those aren't the right things to do. Um, so I would say uh, some of it is is effort, but a lot of it's just preparation. Um, where the effort comes in is one of the plays that I saw, and I'm sure you I, I, are not were not happy with this either. There was a play I think in the we were going left to right on your television screen on your radio dial, and I forget if it was Randolph or Newton. Couldn't Newton. get back in time. It was yep. okay. Newton. It was Newton. Couldn't get back in time to not be offsides. That's effort. That's effort. I mean. If you're not, I mean, if everyone, if you got ten people who are on the right side of the ball and you're not, you got to run faster. You got to be ready because you're costing your team five yards in that situation. So, I, it, at the end of the day, I'm going to end up saying it's it, a good amount. Like some of it is effort. I feel like on the offensive line, a lot of it is you know you need to be prepped and ready to go. And maybe unfortunately, they they weren't as prepped as they should have been. Um, I can't speak on the intricacies of the techniques and the uh, and the play calling of defense, but as an offensive lineman, I'm looking at it just saying, man, all you got to do is run upfield and push the guys in front of you, and you got to be able to do that. You got to be able to give all you got. So watching that game on Saturday, and I've only seen a few plays through uh, just kind of the gifts that are circulating on Twitter that show some of the good, of course, and we'll get to Altmaier again because I know that is the story, but I kind of did the opening segment about him and want to focus on something we thought would be good and was not good. So if you were to kind of speculate as to the cause for why both lines struggled against Toledo, here's my theory, simplistic as it may be. I thought that Illinois would have enough in the tank to take Toledo as seriously as you should any week one opponent. But I also get the feeling that they were feeling their oats just enough to perhaps not play with the same chip on the shoulder or the same edge that Toledo's linemen were. Simplistic as that sounds, do you think that might have had something to do with the push that Toledo was getting on both sides? Or do we start getting into larger concerns that could stretch well into the season based on schematics, fundamentals? How how do you see if there was a pie chart of all the things that led to poor line play? How does that chart break down? I think it, you would imagine that it has to have to do mostly with Toledo being more pumped up and fired up and ready to go than your guys are, which isn't a good thing. But I mean, the thing that is encouraging is we do have such a larger sample size, especially on defense, of these guys going up against better competition than Toledo and getting the job done and being projected future NFL players. So at least on the defensive side, and it, it, this is all assuming that this Toledo offense and defensive line aren't going to go on to be like, you know, top five in the country, which they're a Mac team. So I'm assuming that's not the case, but no, I mean, I think a lot of it just has to do with you're going into it. You got to shake off the rust. A lot of the trainings, uh, training camp in the off season has just been going. I mean, at least when I was there, I'm not sure how it is under Bielema, but, you could say you're going full speed. You can say you're, you know, we're 
trying to simulate what a game type uh, speed is right now, it's never going to be the same as what it is out there. It's just the nature of the beast. So I, I think that a lot of it boils down to these guys were more amped. They had nothing to lose. They were going out there. And, uh, and you kind of, because you saw when you went out there and when you needed it, when you needed it or when it was scripted, you got it. On the first drive of the game, you had more of a push than they did. You were able to walk right down the field. Um, and then at the end of the game, the most impressive instance of us running the football was after the Casey Washington catch when every single time you were falling forward for three, four, five yards. And we can get into this. This is a side note um, of us getting down to like the 10 yard line and then taking a timeout at eight seconds. I kind of have like an idea of why he did that, but I thought that was interesting. But that last, you could see when you needed it, you were able to get it on offense and, uh, and a couple key plays on defense as well. Let's talk about that real quick because he did address it. Brett Bielma addressed the timeout with eight seconds. At this point, Harry, I left the game at halftime because I was too pissed off. And before we get to that timeout, actually, with eight seconds, question for you, because you texted me after the first score. Or maybe it was yeah. right be- was it right after the first score? It was right right after the first score. You and I were thinking the same thing, because my prediction going in was 31-16. to 16. And I will say, in my defense, if we had just not extended drives with stupid defensive penalties, that might have happened. It would have been close. Yeah. I digress. But you and I were feeling the same way after that opening drive, especially because Altmaier looked great. We were getting a push on the line. And then our defense was coming on the field. So we're feeling good about this. Do you think that with the ease with which we scored the same confidence that you and I were exuding via text was happening on that sideline, but maybe not for the better. Maybe it was, Oh yeah, we got this. Can that kind of percolate throughout a sideline? I think that probably would have come more so maybe then, but I definitely think that came when you took the lead in the second half as well, because that's when, at least as a fan, I'm sitting at home thinking, and also, this was probably the closest to the definition of a roller coaster game that I've ever seen, where you go up, then you're down by two scores. Then when you go up again, I figured, oh, it's over. They're not going to score twice against us, which, by the way, we need to stop letting teams do that. That's the third year in a row where, was it, two years ago it was Maryland, last year it was Indiana, where they needed a touchdown, and they got a touchdown. And Toledo did it again this year, so... Uh, luckily, you know, it wasn't the same result there at the end, but no, I mean, I think, I think the first drive doesn't necessarily fall into that category because the first drive of a football game is so much different than any other drive, maybe aside from coming out of halftime, but even then it's not the same because when you're coming out of halftime, uh, most of it's just adjustments at the beginning of the game that's scripted and people say, you know, what's the script coming into the game? We literally have pages saying, this is going to be our first play. This is going to be our second play. You start like practicing on that on Wednesday so that you know where exactly on the field you're going to be, where you know the exact types of plays you're going to run. So that's why the first plays always look smooth. That's why you see games, even in the NFL, the one I always go back to is the Eagles played the, uh, the Vikings in, in 2017 in the NFC Championship game. Vikings walk right down the field. It looked so easy. They go up 7-0. Eagles win 38-7. to so the first drive of the game is almost an anomaly. And that's why I think you don't necessarily go into that first drive after you score thinking, oh, we got this. That would have been the thought process after you go up 27 to 19 is, oh, we got this. 
this game, you know, we have it's out of reach. We've started to assert our dominance. Uh, now, now we can just kind of kick it into a uh, you know cruise control. So twenty-seven nineteen. That means they got a field goal, and yeah, they they would have. It was the Acus penalty, which continued that final drive for yeah. Toledo. Yeah. Now you mentioned so we're at the tailgate lot watching the second half, and I agree with you. When Illinois took the lead, I thought game over, and okay, we're going to get the win. And at that point, you're feeling pretty good. Toledo, of course, takes the one-point lead. Uh, But we'll get to the runs in that last drive because I do think that's something that hopefully can be built upon because there was great push when it mattered the most. The timeout with eight seconds, Bielema was talking about that, and I kind of thought the same thing in the lot, and I was glad that he elaborated on it. On a third down, if it would have been fourth down, right, and he calls the timeout with eight seconds, ridiculous. But then when I saw the third down situation, I thought – Okay, they had positioned the ball in the center. They're at the 10-yard line, 8-yard line, whatever. And this is to buy them one possible mess up. And if they do, fall on the ball, whatever, get your second shot with four seconds to go, and you still got a timeout in your pocket. So he did talk about that after the game. I thought, especially after he explained it, it was good situational football. Of course, there's always the risk of a miracle return. Or I mean, I even remember after they made the field goal, Harry, I thought... I don't know. Just kick the ball out of bounds. Like, seriously, <laughs> let them start at the forty. Who cares? And and then they'll try a hail mary, and that'll be the end of the game. But uh, that was what he explained, at least. Yeah, I mean, I that was what I was thinking. And here's the thing: these are college kids, so stuff happens. Weird stuff happens. I have, and that's what I was thinking when he took it at eight seconds. Because you don't even have to just fall on the ball. You could. You had a timeout. If it's a bad snap. And your holder picks it up, and he's you know he's bobbling around. By then, there's probably five seconds. You have a timeout. Tell him to throw it into the ground. Who cares if it's grounding? It's a spot foul. Even if I think the rule is if you're within like five yards, it's a ten yard penalty. That was like a 25, 26 yard field goal. So it's still a makeable field goal if everything goes wrong. Throw the ball into the ground. Ten second runoff. You take your timeout to negate that. Now it's fourth down. Now you have like a 36-yard field goal. So at the end of the day, I totally understand why I did that. They're not NFL guys. Like you said, if it was fourth down, then you're questioning what you're you're going out there and doing. And that was a Zook moment against Iowa. So it's funny. The difference between – Bielema has bought that benefit of the doubt over the course of 15 years of being a head coach. Ron Zook, towards the end of an Iowa game in 2008, Illinois – was about to take the game-winning field goal, and he called a timeout with like 25 seconds. We, the clock was running. It was going. We could have done the whole bleed it down until you get the last play, and he called with like 20-some seconds to go. All right, let's focus here because we're, I like all this getting into the line stuff because I'll be honest, we will spend the bulk of this talking about Altmeyer as, as he deserves it to be. But is there any chance of carryover from what we saw that last drive, because I think the way that Illinois, the more I think about it, the more impressed I am with how they closed that game out. Of course, there's the miracle throw. Without that, you don't have what comes next. By the way, yeah. by the way, I haven't seen anything to make me think otherwise, but I don't know about you. When you saw the catch, were you screaming, get up to the ball, run a play, run a play, run a play? I haven't seen anything to say the ball hit the ground. But it, it was one of those weird-looking plays where when you catch it, he hits the ground. Have you seen anything or anyone say anything otherwise? No, no. And that's interesting because it was a really hard contested ball. So it, it, there was this great shot and at TCR Brad on Twitter 
put these out. It was from the Toledo sideline perspective. You look at the first shot when the ball was in his bread basket there. It's a contested ball. This could have easily just fallen out. The way Casey somehow snares that, it was not close to being on the ground. But you're right. When we saw it from the angle of the TV, you see his back. What we were doing on the tailgate lot is we have this five-second delay. So we are getting what happens in the stadium right before we see it. And we're waiting and we're waiting. And then you hear this, you know, you hear the crowd from (laughs) afar. And then Gene Honda says, first and 10 for the Illini. And then you look at the TV, you see it in real time, and you think, I don't think I quite processed it quickly enough to think, go to the line, go to the line. They do get the next playoff. Didn't even go to review, right? Did it? Yeah. yeah no, it, they did not go to review. Yeah, so that tells you. I mean, it was a clean catch, and there was no doubt about it, That though they could have easily went to look at it. But, okay, those next six plays, the way that Illinois got that ball another 20 yards, basically. They get a big yeah. first down, by the way, when it's like a third and two, and Brett Bielema specifically referenced this. How on a third and two, they get the first down. If they had not, we're talking about a minute to go. Toledo, yeah, Toledo burns their last time out, and then they got plenty of time to go make a game-winning field goal themselves, but they convert. And it was actually a really well-run ball. I think that was McCray at that point who bounces off the left tackle maybe, but a good push. Is there any way, if I'm trying to find a silver lining, Harry, in all this, that that can propel them into Friday. I mean, I know momentum is only as good as, I don't, it might not be good at all, but for as far as line play is concerned, they really did look good in that last bit. The first bit and the last bit, they look good. Yeah, I, I mean, I th- and by the way, McCray almost shot himself in the foot when he ran out of bounds there because that's what led to them being able to have that much time. But I digress, you got the first down, it's all null and void. I think it could because here's a reference to um, to two moments in that game. At the end of the game, everyone on the planet, everyone in the stadium knew you were going to run it. We knew it. They knew it. Everyone knew you were going to run it. And you still were able to do it. You were still able to push the line, still able to get a first down, bleed the clock out, and kick the game-winning field goal You know, with essentially no time. Compare that to earlier in the game, the most frustrated moment, well, most frustrated I was when we were on defense was when they kept getting like nine yards on first down. Because I'm like, man, you get nine yards on first down, they're just going to throw it deep on second and one, and even if they don't get it, boom, you run it for third and one, then first down. And that happened like four times in a row. It was ridiculous. But the most frustrating moment for me in the entire game on offense was the second and three, to the third and one, to the fourth and one, to the turnover on downs, right? Because you get up there, you you know, for um, on third and one, everyone knows you're going to run it, right? Everyone r- knows you're going to run it. You fly right up the middle, right? And it doesn't work. You fly a second time right up the middle, and it doesn't work. Twice, two times you fly right up the middle. And it doesn't work. Everyone on the planet knows that you're going to do it. And you can't get it to work. Similar to the end of the game. And the fact that it, they grew from there to the end of the game. And that's why I think there could be carryover to the next game with the running game. So in a way, that was rock bottom. You know, like that, that was the low point. And, you know, you mentioned that exact sequence. Keep in mind, Illinois was on their side of the field or sorry, Toledo side of the field, 30 yards to go to the end zone. 
At that point, it was early enough in the game where the offense looked like they were kind of going to cruise in this game. They only had four possessions in the first half. And I know that partly has to do with the new clock rules, but uh, it's a shame that it ended like that. But if anything, you know, and this kind of leads to a more macro question, the benefits of learning after a win. I've heard that a lot the last few days, and I'd like to think there's some truth in that. Uh, My only fear is that because they got the win, those lessons might not be quite as ingrained in them because there wasn't a consequence, right? It was, you got away with one. So my fear is that they didn't learn anything at all. But you mentioned maybe some carryover even in the second half. The offensive line did do better in the second half. And I know that there was still some uh, pressure on Altmaier and they got some runs going, but it was a little bit inconsistent till the very end. Do you think, and you might have to look back to your own experience, learning after a loss, learning after a win, what's the difference? Is there a benefit to one over the other? I didn't have a lot of wins to learn after. (laughs) Uh, But I will say, I think the game that kind of comes to mind, and this is weird because I can't necessarily speak 100% on it, but I think the comp would be the Penn State game two years ago because – we, we, you go into into uh, Happy Valley and you beat the number nine team in the country. Were they number nine or I just yeah. think that number? Okay. They were top ten. The number. That sound, nine sounds right. Yeah. So you go in there, you win that game in nine overtimes, and the thought process is we just beat the number nine team in the country. There's no way we could have done that unless we played an A++++ game. If I remember correctly, that game was pretty sloppy. Yeah. I mean, we, we had – some holding calls. We we had some moments when we could have gone up by a touchdown and we didn't. And, you know, you had some moments in overtime. You dropped a two-point conversion that would have won the game, I think, in the third or fourth overtime. So you don't necessarily come out of that thinking we have a ton to learn from. Even if the even if the um the coaching staff is telling you all the um all the, the things that you didn't do right in that game, your thought process is it's how could it not be yeah yeah that's all well and good we just beat the penn state nittany lions number nine team in the country in happy valley next week you lose to Rutgers at home so i mean compare that to this game everyone knows we you know in that locker room this is this is the mindset in the locker room we should have just beat that team by 40 that's a mac team i don't care how good they are we should have just beat that team into the ground it should not have come down to a game winning field goal this feels like a loss. Thank God we won, but this feels like, you know, not, this does not feel Wisconsin last year. This does not feel any of those big wins in that run last year to seven and one. This feels like, you know, we have a lot to work on going forward. So I would imagine because of the level of competition you were playing, not Toledo themselves, but a Mac team, I think that lends you to, you know, being able to learn from a, from a win more so than against a better team. If that makes any sense. Yeah, I, that, that makes, makes sense. sense. Yeah. The the one thing we all learned, thanks to this, this is me trying to transition here. The biggest thing we all learned, Illinois got a quarterback. Harry, That's, yeah. imagine you're in the locker room. Okay, well, after the game, of course, but then you get to practice. I, I assume Sunday's all film. Short week, so they definitely practice on Monday. And is there a different energy, you think, amongst the the whole Smith Performance Center with with in those locker rooms of, whoa, we got a, a we got a guy, we got a dude, and uh, something that really stood out to me with Jay Layman talking about it w- when he was running Altmaier, it wasn't just little skitter scatter off to the side and out of bounds. He was going right up the middle into the 
the mouth of the beast and took a few hits. And then the biggest throw of the game, if, if you've ever seen Not Another Teen Movie, it's that scene where the quarterback oh, yeah. throws to the special kid who catches yeah. it and then he gets decapitated. And that honestly could have happened to Luke Altmaier the way he got hit on yeah. that throw. And it's- no, he's fine. That play looked so weird, too, because I know this can't possibly be the case, but it almost looked like a play in Madden. It was. Where, like, you get hit from the bottom and top. And for some reason, this might just be me, but it looked like he was, like, looking at the sideline. Like, he wasn't even looking at Casey Washington, and it's just one of those ones where you're looking to the side and your body's, like, throwing it to the X button has to be down there. I pressed X, so the ball's going to go that way. That play, I've watched that so many times. Yeah, it was an amazing play. Um I would say this is, you know, it's it's weird to say and it's, it might be bad to say because, you know, I loved all the guys I played with, um, but the quarterbacks that we had there never were really seen as guys who were game changers. I mean, ma- maybe you can speak more uh, more on Nate because I wasn't there. I was there for his last year. You know, I think um, that I think when I look back to that era, so the tail end of the Shieldhouse era, you knew he was a good quarterback but not the kind that was going to be good enough to lift the team. Wes Lunt had a lot of excitement because he was a highly regarded recruit, but he just physically, as big as he was, he just wasn't a physical specimen. I mean, he was limited because he was so... He was not He was not a mobile quarterback. I remember any time he would run. That's an understatement. That is. I remember he ran, though. It was, uh, it was you know, you'd see... Illinois loyalty or something one put out a little gift, even if it was like a three or four yard run. Um, I but I mean, the- other ones, Harry, like I'm, I'm trying to think, you know, Riley O'Toole was fun and he did towards the end of that year. I think that's the closest thing in that three game stretch where he had a thing going. That was the closest thing I would say was at the end of that year when, uh, when he came in there and he helped us beat Penn state and Minnesota and Northwestern. That was when, you could tell the quarterbacks got some swagger. He's kind of the reason. I mean, also we had a, a really good defense, if I recall, in 20, uh, 2014 towards the end of the season with uh, Jihad and Dewan. Um, but I, that's the closest I can think of when, at least when I was there, when we had a quarterback that uh, instilled that kind of uh, excitement for you know for the offensive side of the ball. So, do you think that this week? it adds any sort of energy or, or buzz when I'm sure they felt good going into game one, but everybody knows that it's, it's practice. As you mentioned earlier, it's just different when you play your first game and that this was Luke's first, you know, big start. He did play in the sugar bowl when he came in relief in the second quarter, he got to start against an FCS team. This is different though. I mean, this is now his gig and it's like, don't mess up kid. And not only did he not mess up, he, minus the one big mistake, was fantastic. He was he was the, I believe, fourth highest graded quarterback in the Big Ten last weekend, according to PFF. I'd have to double check that, but you know what? It sounds right, because short of being McCarthy or Tua's little brother or Drew Aller, there was no other quarterback that looked as good as Luke Altmaier. It's going to be fun to play Drew Aller in two weeks, by the way. My goodness. No, I mean, I think this... I would say there's probably a buzz because of how he looked out there. Uh, like you said, he had the one the one pass, the, the interception, uh, which was an ugly one. But aside from that, I mean, he looked rock solid. I mean, the, there was one play where we were going, again, right to left on your radio dial. We were around the 10 or 15-yard line. 
and the pocket was collapsing in on him. And I have watched enough Illinois football games, whether it's from the sideline or from my couch, to see that that ends in whoever it is. Even if it's if it's Wes, if it's Riley, if it's Brandon Peters, if it's uh, if it's Tommy DeVito, they get sacked. They they get one yard. They get sacked. He was able to duck under some guys and get down to like the four three yard line. And I remember watching that replay. I was like, I've never seen an Illinois quarterback do that before. That is a game changer right there. So if you have that kind of guy, I mean, he he looked he looked as good as you could look aside from that one play uh, this past week. And now I think that it did. I think buzz is the right word because I don't think it's a foregone conclusion outside of Champagne that oh this guy's special this guy's someone to watch. I think it's going I think that's going to probably come this upcoming week or maybe you know when we start to get into conference play when he goes up against better competition and if he can still do it then and still be putting up um, you know still be throwing the ball the way he is still be running the ball the way he is. That's when I think people will start to, you know, notice. Okay, we got a special guy here at quarterback, and uh, you know the best part about that is, you know, when you got a guy at quarterback, you put butts in the seats. I mean, when 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 <laughs> you can speak on it, two thousand seven, two thousand one, whether it's Kirk Kittner or or Juice. I mean, you were having. Now I would think two thousand eight because of the recognition of what had happened in two thousand seven. Um, but yeah, I mean that that that's that's when you're able to really get a lot more attention to the team, not just buzz from within the Smith Center, but or, you know from fans and from the from the campus. I, I mentioned that on Sunday's podcast, Harry. That that's what puts butts in the seats, and I did specifically reference Kurt Kittner because that team was loaded with great wide receivers, Brandon Lloyd and Walter Young, and it had Rocky Harvey was a fun running back, and they had great cornerbacks like Eugene Wilson, who was a early second round pick to the Patriots, and. They were loaded. They won the Big Ten. They went 10-1 and one in the regular season. But what brought people out was they knew they had a special quarterback. And when you've got that, it doesn't matter who the other team is on the other sideline. You feel like you've got a, a fighting chance. And you mentioned Drew Aller, and I know that Penn State looked great. But yet, regardless of what happens against Kansas on Friday, I'm not necessarily going to wake up the morning at Penn State thinking, we got this. But I'm going to say, yeah. what the hell? And you know what makes that different? And why, no matter what happens Friday, I might say, yeah, what the hell? Let's see what happens. Is because you have a quarterback. You have a playmaking quarterback. And uh, that is a huge difference. And I, I want to kind of transition this into Friday because you mentioned better competition. The good news for this offense, which I thought on the whole, Barry Lunny called a very good game. I think the run game will incrementally get better. But I think you have a great starting place with Altmeyer and your top three wide receivers. Those guys were... Oh, yeah. way. We, we kind of skated over that. They looked, I mean, Pat Bryant. I mean, we'd seen some flashes last year. You know what he got in Isaiah. But, I mean, Pat Bryant, that guy looks like. And each guy kind of has their thing, right? If you were to say, like, who is your most talented wide receiver, it's Isaiah Williams. If you were to say who's your clutchest wide receiver, I think it's without a doubt Casey Washington. And then Pat Bryant is the one who scored the most touchdowns. So, I mean, the fact that now – if you can get the man, if you get the running game going, if you get the running game going, when was the last time I keep saying you could speak on this, but when was the last time we had an offense that was this explosive? I mean, that, that could be, if you have this kind of passing game, if you get the running game up to par, would it be back in 2001? 
Yeah, when I, you had a guy who was just throwing it, the ball was flying all over the place, that kind of explosive offense. I, I think so, Harry. And when I was trying to find context for, and I know it's I know it's one game, right? But he is an old redshirt sophomore. When Kittner got going, he was a true sophomore, from what I recall. So he was a young guy that was just getting his first reps. He played a few games his freshman year. But he came on a sophomore year. Luke Altmaier is a redshirt sophomore who looks really good in his first game. But there were a lot of Kittner-esque qualities about him in just the, uh, I think, the intangible kind of way that he carried himself in the pocket, the way that he kind of carried himself in the sidelines. He, My dad was making note of just the way that he was interacting with the other wide receivers and the offensive line and just a lot of camaraderie, which I know sounds kind of like wishy-washy, intangible stuff, but I do think it matters for the quarterback. But you mentioned 2001. I think the big comp to that would be if they get a running game that can be somewhat consistent. Back then, it was Rocky Harvey and Antonio Harris, Thunder and Lightning kind of thing. I think you could, best case scenario, get a little bit of that going with Reggie Love and Josh McRae. But it's the fact that you have an, an efficient offense, passing offense, with big play capability. And what I'm excited about for Friday is Kansas's defense, I don't think is necessarily a step up in competition from what you saw against Toledo's defense. They're they're not. They're pretty comparable from from again, I think I think they have as many uh AP votes at the beginning of the year as Toledo did. So you're all right there with one another. Plus, I mean, and I'm sorry to step on, you know, if um if you were going in this direction, but I mean Jalen Daniels is getting his first start right now, right? First start of the year, because he did not play against Missouri State. That's the other thing. Kansas played Missouri State. So as much as you do want that 1-0, we're both 1-0. So at the end of the day, you know, even playing field going into this game, we have much, much better reps for our guys coming into this as opposed to what Kansas has. I was going to ask you about that. Because I do think, I used the analogy last week, I think of you're in the bat uh, on-deck circle, you're a batter, you got the donut on the bat, and you're swinging a heavier bat, so that when you take that donut off, it's just a little bit easier. And I wonder, because of that experience that you had against the Toledo, more of a comparable opponent than a Missouri State that was, I believe, a three-win team in the whatever FCS conference they were in last year. The big sky. (laughs) It sounds right. They're in the same one. The same one as South Dakota State. Or North Dakota State, sorry. Anywho. It's, 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 yeah, okay. But So going into this game, I, I'm excited to see the passing offense. It, I want to throw this possible cliche out there and see if you can either confirm it or refute it, which is can you establish the pass first, which leads to the run game being more open because you are now stretching the defense and you got the defensive backs on their heels can that work? I think it can. I, I think the old cliche is you run the ball to set up the pass. But, I mean, early on in that game, we were having, aside from one big run from Reggie Love when we were deep on our own territory, you were having no success from aside from maybe some design runs for uh, for Luke or, or from when he was scrambling. So early on in the game, the only time you were moving the ball was when you were passing it. So I, I think there's you could definitely – I think there's no problem doing it in reverse because we just saw it. I mean, even towards the end of the game, when you needed to get into uh, into field goal range, you were able to pass it with ease. And then the closer you got, that kind of lent itself to you being able to open up the uh, the running game a little bit more. And then it just comes back to what I said before, that when you got down there, it was that much more impressive that you were able to run it when everyone knew that was what you were going to do. 
Um, I think going up against this Kansas defense, I mean, they have I mean, even going back to last year, towards the end of the year, after their their impressive start, they were giving up like fifty points a game to I mean, albeit some some uh, Big Twelve schools who are renowned for their offense, but still fifty points a game. Uh, whether it was to Texas, I think they gave up fifty points to uh, to Arkansas in the bowl game that they played. And even though that took overtime, I think they still gave up 30 or 40 going into overtime. Um, so I think that it, it was very reassuring to see that the passing game was as impressive as it is. Because I do believe Bielma is going to get the running game going. Um, I, I think that, I, I mean, how could it not be better than what it was from last game? I think you're going to carry over from what you saw at the end. And I think that with a weak defense that you're going up against, I think that this game goes one of two ways. I think... And and I feel good about this game, by the way. I do. I don't know if this is if this is maybe me, you know, feeling my oats a little bit too much. Which, by the way, I love that saying, feeling my oats, because I have oats like every day, I, and they are delicious. I feel oh, my oats every boo. day. Boo! Boo! <laughs> that wasn't even that wasn't even a classic Harry bad pun. I just like oats. I was saying boo worms. Don't worry. Oh, I, someone was saying boo worms. Mm-hmm. Uh, where was i not <laughs> well not no, let's talk about the can let's talk about the feeling of oh, this yeah, Kansas yeah. game yeah. because yep. to me there are the obvious things against you which are jalen daniels is a dynamic player there's no He's really good and their offense returns everybody and this is the game they've circled friday night at home they got the black jerseys, special jerseys for it. This is their marquee game until maybe they play. Uh, they played Texas at home last year and got smoked. So I don't know what their marquee home game is. But this is it until there's a bigger one. And they feel just like we do that they've arrived at a different plateau. Like they, they've taken a step. But then, Harry, I the reason once Illinois, once Illinois won, that's the key. If they would have lost, you bet I would have been like, what, what the hell do I do? I would have been completely frazzled. College football is weird. Trying to transpose one performance to the next and saying, well, the line play did this against Toledo. Therefore, they're going to get shredded against Kansas. I think it's just too easy. I, I Now, there is a chance that there's something more fundamentally wrong with this team that they're going to have to figure out. Maybe, right? And as an Illini football fan, I've seen that before, even with high expectations. But the other part of me just says, wait a second. You escaped. You got a comparable opponent in many ways to Toledo, which just happens to be on the road. Brett Bielema teams happen to play better on the road, it seems, as a, as a trend line. And Your biggest wins so far, uh, aside from Iowa, have been on the road over the last two years with, uh, with Bielema. Yeah, and I mean, Minnesota at home too. But really, the Wisconsin win was the most impressive of all those. You dominated yeah. on the road at Camp Randall. But here's the other thing too. Underdog. This team last year, after the Indiana game, I don't think they were favored in another game other than Chattanooga. They were not favored at Wisconsin. They were not favored against Iowa, I don't think. They were not favored against Minnesota at home. I think they were six-and-a-half-point yeah. dogs. Yeah, because I think Minnesota was uh, was ranked at that point. Yep. So here they are. Ah, familiar territory. They're the underdogs. They get to pretend, at least, that they have the chip on their shoulder for this. So I think there's just as many things going forward as against it, and I can't shake this feeling that, wait a second, there are some scary parts of this game, but the other part of me says, eh, we'll fix what they need to, and that the good things you saw last Saturday, they travel. Yeah, 
Well, I, I, you would hope that um, that the strengths that you worked on or that you showed in week one are going to travel. And then the, the it's weird to say that this is reassuring, but the most disappointing part of the entire game last week was the play from the two guys who were supposed to be your stalwarts in the defensive line. You know, your, your two pillars of strength right there on the defensive line just absolutely crumbled there early on. So if they're able to, you know, rebuild back to what they were last year, then you would, you would imagine, you would imagine that there's no way going into Kansas that this is, is going to be the same defensive performance. I mean, that, there's just no way. They're going to be able to get back to where they were last year. <laughs> I would agree with that. Uh, <laughs> here's the thing. You mentioned track record. They've got it. They have it. You know, And I will yeah. say Keith Randolph did play a good second half. He did. But the Johnny Newton thing, I, I don't know what the hell that was. And I, I would have to think there were some serious conversations. If there's anything to motivate somebody, it's the fact you got millions of dollars at stake. So that has yeah. to be the aberration. And I would imagine he will play with much more vigor because he did last year. So let's say all things being equal, Harry, let's say that the offense, well, let's do, because this is the only pot I'm going to do before Friday, because me and Isaac are going to do one of those live ones because, you know, Friday night and away game and it'll be fun but won't have another time to make predictions kind of so let's each think of let's each brainstorm one thing illinois will win if one thing each okay and one thing illinois will lose if i'll just start with illinois will win if they keep kansas under 30 points i i think that the offense can get 30 plus and I don't want to say without too much problem. That's still a lot of points, but I think there's enough weapons there. And Kansas's defense should not scare you. They are probably not better than Toledo's. And I think that the offense, if they just play clean and don't derail things like they did that drive we talked about, the fourth and one, or the second drive of the game where they got themselves in the second and 25 or something. The penalties, man. Yeah. I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to pick the penalties as my will win if. Also, by the way, I didn't realize this. After you failed on that fourth and one, which you were up seven to six when you failed on that, when you got the ball back next, you were down by 12 points. How crazy. What kind of like swing is that is absolutely insane. But yeah, I would say I feel encouraged going into this game. And the reason I feel encouraged going into this game is because I think that our offense showed us enough where if they can be close to what Kansas is because Kansas has a good offense. They're bringing back Daniels. I think the rust that he has is probably going to get shooken off within, you know, the first quarter or whatever it is because it's a home game, the atmosphere. Um, If your offense can compete with their offense, I think your defense is going to get back to what, not what they were last year. You were the number one defense in the country last year, but you have too many strengths over there. Even playing a, whatever you want to rank them, C game, they were able to they were able to make plays like the Scott pick six, you know. So so I, I think Illinois wins if their offense comes to I'm not gonna say matches Kansas's offense, but if Illinois' offense is comparable to Kansas's offense, you'll win this game. I feel confident saying that too. And a quick aside on the defense, like you mentioned. I mean, Miles Scott, we haven't mentioned him yet. I did in the opening segment, I'm pretty sure, but 
spectacular debut, worth all the praise they gave him. Xavier Scott was pretty good, too, so the two Scots. On the whole, the defensive backs, I think, are going to be fine. They will be, of course, tested more against the Kansas wide receivers, but I'm not worried about them as some sort of defensive sieve where other teams can just go right through them. I don't think that's it. So it really just comes down to, okay, front seven, the old guys, figure it out. But I agree with you. So I said, if Illinois holds Kansas under 30, they win. You said if the offense can just be comparable, let's say even 80% of what Kansas is. Yeah. I also think it's it's flying under the radar that you're playing against a, a team with a quarterback who can move similar to the way Finn did. It was a nice little like warm up. You didn't do very well containing Finn, <laughs> um, but you know it was nice. Now you have some tape on maybe how they're going to work on you know containing Daniels. Illinois will lose if uh, if I were to think of the biggest bugaboo and I- I'm going to steal your thunder there. If you have eight or more penalties, yeah, we had ten. I will give them credit. There was one. In the second half. So that's kind of... It was just, a big uh, one. It was a big one. Yeah, you're right. They were so good until an absolutely terrible decision by Akis. And I know you could argue there have been worse roughing the passers, but still, you got to know. You got to know. So eight or more penalties in your first road game, loud environment, not going to do it. That's it. Yeah. I won't go with penalties then. Um, Illinois will lose if... I'm going to say if they're... I hate to put it on two guys. You know, I, I hate to do that. But Illinois is going to lose if we have a similar performance from Randolph and Newton. Because these are your two best players. They're the two best players on your team. That Coming into the year, that's what we thought, and that's honestly what it should be. If they don't, if they play a game like they played last week, then we're going to lose this football game. Because then they're going to be able to run the football. And the run does set up the pass if you have a successful running game. And we know Kansas can pass the football. So you're not going to be in a situation like you were last week where they're running, they're running, they're running. What's going to stop them? Oh, they decide to pass for some reason. That's the other thing. I never understand when teams have something they're very good at and it's working, and then they just go away from it and decide to pass the football. Like, that Finn kid can run. But, I mean, that's all. That's pretty much what he was best at doing. And anytime he tried to pass it, it was almost like you breathed a sigh of relief. When Sims in Nebraska decided when they're leading in Minnesota, we're just going to turn Sims into a passing quarterback. Sure, <laughs> whatever. By the way, I saw a power ranking of Big Ten quarterbacks after week one uh, from Ant Wright, who is a he's a Big Ten basketball guy more, but he, he follows football. He had Altmaier number four. And I looked at that list and I was like, yeah, that seems in right. In the Big Ten or West? Big Ten. Behind, wow. okay. behind Aller... Tua's little brother. Basically, it followed the PFF grades, I think. So it was Aller, Tua's younger brother, McCarthy. He had him above McCord. He had him above Cade McNamara, which I agree with. Certainly above, uh, I think he might have had, oh, he had him just below Hudson Card, which I think is arguable. I'll take the three years of Luke Altmaier over one of Hudson Card. But my point is with this, I think he had Sims as 13. I mean, like, the guy can run, but he is just going to make dumb decision after dumb decision throwing it. And I'm looking at our schedule, Harry. I mean, I'm sorry, Mordecai from Wisconsin, that doesn't scare me. Iowa's offense was stagnant and boring yet again. It's just, I feel like this is actually a kind of nice start to the year because the team can go through the the fire of this opening stretch, and then on the other side, they get some Big Ten West offenses that 
you look at that don't have the dynamic quarterback that are just sort of more your kind of bread and butter. Because last year, that defense racked up those great stats against, let's be honest, not the most dynamic quarterbacks. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, I've I've gone on the record saying that I am a fan of uh, of starting with a you know more relatively tough schedule. Now, I'm not going to go out there and say that Illinois is trying to schedule big, bad opponents because, let's be honest, you scheduled Toledo and Kansas five years ago. Yeah, Toledo, you would expect, would be a middle-of-the-pack MAC team. Kansas, you scheduled Kansas five years ago. You thought you were scheduling Rutgers 2.0. So, you know, no credit there for the scheduling department. But I do think that you're going to – I mean, this is the toughest opening three-game stretch we've had probably since – I'm not sure an exact year, but back for maybe one of those years you had um, like Missouri to open up the year, maybe Arizona State a couple weeks in. Or, um, you know, when you played, I think Louisiana Tech was good one year, but you got blasted by them. (laughs) Um, So so that was fun. Um, No, I I think it helps because you're going into this with these two first games that they do matter. I'm not going to say they don't matter because every game in college football matters. You don't want to lose to Toledo. You don't want to lose to a lower level, you know, lower division team, lower conference team. Um, But if you were to go 0-2 against Toledo and Kansas, I mean, we saw Northwestern a couple of years ago go 0-2, 0-3, and then win the Big Ten West. They don't necessarily – not necessarily. They don't impact the goal of what this Illinois team is or at least should be, and that is making the Big Ten championship uh, game. So you have two warm-ups against really, really good competition. I mean, good competition for you. Because I, I think it's right in that sweet spot. You're not playing FCS teams. And it's not like we're playing Ohio State or Georgia. You know, you're not going into these games where we're going to get our doors blown off. Although, I mean, I have to be tentative saying that, seeing as the last time we played a top-tier team, we almost beat them. True. Um, you're going into these games against competition that's right there with you, and it's going to get you ready for the tougher teams that you play while, you know, while teams like Iowa and, and, and Wisconsin – are playing lower level competition to get an easy win. Let's make our predictions. I know I don't know if you were prepared to make one. Oh, I'm ready. Okay, I'm so ready, Harry. You start. You can throw a score out if you want to as well. And why? Okay. Um, this might be a little daring. <laughs> this might be, but I I can't shake that this is the feeling I have going into this game. I think that we're going to win this football game. I think we're going to win something to the effect of like. I'm going to say 34 to 13. What? Whoa. Yeah. I think the defense shows up and I think the offense shows up. I think that they're going to be pissed. And I think that in situations where, I mean, because I'm looking at this for Kansas, similar to I've looked at maybe games where we've gotten hyped as Illinois fans early on. The games that come to my mind are North Carolina. There was a there was a couple of Nebraska games. I think there was a Nebraska game, Lovey, in 2017 that I think a lot of people were excited for. We lost 28 to six. There was the North Carolina game. You score that first touchdown, you lose. I forget. I think you lose by like three or four touchdowns. It wasn't necessarily. You know what? 13's not a lot. I'm going to say I do think you're winning by multiple scores. I'll say like 34 to 17. Wow. Yeah. I'm the feeling. I can't shake it. The feeling I have for this game is they're, again, Kansas, really feeling those oats. 
You know, they, they, they got them, they're cooking them up, and they're feeling those oats. Whereas we're coming into this game and we're pissed. You know, that game against Toledo should not have been as close as it was. I don't care. And this is what they're thinking. I don't care if they were, you know, getting more votes than us. They're a Mac school. We were in a, in a, uh, a New Year's Day bowl game last year against SEC-level competition, a game we very well could have won, and we eked that one out. We're going on the road. We're, we're going to, you know, we're, this is a tune-up for the Big Ten uh, conference schedule starting with us next week against Penn State. We got to go show the world what we're doing. Also, it's on ESPN, too. So, I mean, people are going to be watching. It's not going to be like Toledo. This is your first chance to really make an impact. Maybe that lights a fire under some of these guys who have an NFL future. I don't know. Um but I, I, I do think that this is going to be a game that Illinois wins, and I do feel like they're going to win by a little bit. Wow. If that happens, dude. I, <laughs> quick question before <laughs> I make my prediction. Uh, the one less day preparation. Is that a problem? I don't think so because we both have one less day. You know? It's but they not, had it's one not... more because they had a Friday game. Ah, yes. So um, I should say, does Kansas have an advantage or how much of an advantage with that extra day? I never really bought into that you had too much more of an advantage with um, with one day, um, because that one day, all that they're really going to be doing anyway is they're going to they're taking Saturday off. You know, they, they get one more day of rest, and if that's the case, then all Illinois really has to do is maybe take one of those days of rest and turn it into a run through or a walk through that you have. So, I, I mean, you see it all the time, you know, in the NFL with some of those Thursday night games. Those are a little bit weird, but I mean. I never really bought into the one extra day off giving you that much of an advantage. And that's Sunday to Thursday, so that's two days less, right? Yeah, I, I think Harry also being early enough in the season, we aren't talking about fatigue or any of that yet. So, All right, well, I, I can't top your prediction, but I cannot help but shake the notion, kind of like you mentioned, you know, this team in the Bielema era has always played best when you least expect them to go out and play a really good game. I'll give you the most recent example would be Michigan. You had lost yeah. two home games. You give up a quick touchdown to Michigan. Then you settle in, and then you damn near win it. You should have won it, but that's a ugh, whatever. And then you go back to the first year, and games after Wisconsin smoked you. Homecoming. You got a bye week, of course, as well. There were the comments about the offensive line. You beat Penn State. You come home. You're, you're feeling a little too good about yourselves. Lose to Rutgers. Oh, well, now we're pissed again. You beat Minnesota. It was yeah. Iowa. Oh, then you smoke Northwestern. I don't think it's going to be so back and forth this year because I do think the competition levels out and where you can go on a few winning streaks. But I do think mentally, if I am to trust this coaching staff as much as I still do, despite some frustration Saturday, I think that mentally they will be in the right place. And if they are mentally in the right place, I think all things being equal, that defense will have a much better performance and the offense will continue to cook. So I will go Illinois 38 and I'll go Kansas 27. You will keep them under 30. Listen, here's another thing, Harry. You had four red zone trips against Toledo. Touchdown, 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 game-winning field goal. This offense with a guy like Luke Altmeyer that can run the ball when he needs to, and hey, even a Josh McCray who did get a touchdown running it up the gut, I believe, right? He had one rushing touchdown when he had. To I get, think yeah, 
it was the first drive. Yeah, he had to get a quick yard. He got stuffed the first time, and then the second time he was able to get through. You have more options. I think that will cure the red zone issues, and you'll need to score touchdowns, but I think he will against Kansas. I can't shake the feeling, Harry. I mean, if you asked me Saturday night, I would have said, yeah. Like, my gut reaction after the game would have been, oh, oh, this is bad news against Kansas. It's like, well, wait a second. This is football, man. Football is weird. And just because you played a D game or a C- minus against Toledo doesn't mean you're going to play a C- minus game against Kansas. In fact, often it means the opposite. Yeah. Yeah, usually it mean, I mean, like we've said, when you play you know, your bad games, that's usually where you come up. Also, they know they have to play better than they did because of the level of competition. They know that they they have to, you know, dialed in more. They got to lock in more, and um, and yeah, I think I mean we've seen enough times where that is the case. Was it was uh, last year? You came out. Virginia was your first game after you played Indiana. Mm-hmm. Virginia, I know that they're you know not a great team, but I think any team really is you know better than Indiana, and you're able to go out there and beat them by you. Shut them out, right? Thirty-one to zero. Oh, or was they that- might have gotten a field goal late, but now in one, one difference, one primary difference, Virginia was replacing an entire offensive line. I don't think you'll be able to do that to a Kansas offense that yeah, has everybody no, back. But but you could do something in the middle, and yeah, I don't I don't know, Harry. I mean, I, I should feel more concerned. I I do think, and I will say this to caution myself, that if they come out flat again, specifically the line, specifically the defensive line, if I see that kind of performance again, I start thinking, what's going on? Because I know yeah. that's only two games, but these are games where you should be able to see some production from those guys. I'd like to think that uh, I don't have to wake up Saturday morning thinking, wait a second, are our two best players not really our two best players? Yeah, and I mean, I I, I think, I don't think that's going to be the case because I don't, I mean, what else could it, if, if, if they were to come out here and they just, uh, you know, precipitously, precipitously drop off from last year. It's not like it's the defensive coordinator that was able to, you know, put them in every exact situation they need to be in to be, you know, as hyped as they were coming into the season. Nothing against Ryan Walters, but also he just gave up 40 points to Fresno State. I know Fresno State's good, but he didn't give up 40 points to anyone last year. So I, I, I would imagine it's got to. I mean, they're going to be more hyped up. Maybe it's the first game of the year and, and you're thinking, you know, okay, we can go out there. We can just kind of walk through the motions and we can, you know, get the easy W. Clearly wasn't the case. Now they're going to see, okay, we got to play, you know, much better football against a team that's in the Big 12 and was in a bowl game last year. I think they're going to – you could definitely have a situation. Now, you won't feel as good because that would just be stupid. This would be stupid if I were to say – you could lose this game and feel better than you were last week. No, that's not how it works. If you lose this game, it doesn't matter how you look. You won't feel better than you did last week. But you could lose this game and play better than you did against Toledo. Sure. I definitely, I 100% think that. I Again, it sounds weird to say, seeing as I do think we're going to win this game, but I think that if you come out here and you play a better game than you did against Toledo, which isn't hard because the defense did not look great for a lot of it, and Kansas just comes out and slings the ball all over the field, then you get beat by a team that played better than you. Yeah, and you can live with that a little bit more. But, man, if you win, those are two big yeah. pillars to have in the non-conference schedule right there. I'll so. tell you what, man. Number two, strong, just, you know, beams of light for you going into that Penn State game. 
the all important. My goodness, could you imagine if you're two and zero going into that one? There's going to there are going to be some fireworks at that game. My goodness, the, the energy was great on Saturday in the lots. It was different. It was a sort of oh, we might have a good football team, and if you can come back two and zero, I I can only imagine. And we're already making completely vulgar jokes about what we will do. Me, me, Trevor and Isaac, that is, about what we will do if they start 3-0. and And uh, I have a few things in mind. But first things first, beat Kansas. You and I feel good about it. I hope that when we talk next Tuesday, we can recap what would be, let's, on, let's be honest, a huge win. It would be huge. And no, that makes the Penn State game gravy. It really does. Yeah, you're you're if you win if you're two and zero going into Kansas or beating Kansas, you are just flying straight into that Penn State game full of confidence. Harry is always a great time, so we'll see you next Tuesday, same bat time, next, same bat channel. Yes, I will be here, right, awesome. right in the room with all the squishmallows. Oh, yes. I love squishmallows. They're very they're very comfy. All right, man. Yes. Ha- have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you next week. All right, Harry. All right. All right. See you, bud. All right, that is the one and only Harry Black joining us here on the 200 level. So as we wrap up, a quick reminder, we got merch. We have a hooded sweatshirt pre-order up through September 16th, and the form link is available on our Twitter page at the 200 level. And I also put it out on mine, at Fanboy Carp, and it's got all the information there, free delivery if you're in town or you want to pick it up from Lot 31, and we can ship them too. So I hope you are, if you're interested in some fall swag, it's almost hoodie season, as the kids say. What, the SCN? I'm way too old for that crap. But you know what? It is almost time to be rocking that hoodie in the tailgate lots. And I think this one, hey, it's the orange and blue that you would wear for Illini apparel anyway. All right, before we get out of here, quick reminder, the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe. Online at dpdoe.com. For all the best deals and prices, dpdoe.com. Also, State Farm agent Brian Hansen Online at brianismyguy.com. Life, auto home, business renters, you name it, brianismyguy.com. Also, Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. Give them a call today at 217-841-4728 to get your furnace check scheduled. That's Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing, your home's best friend. And finally, Owen Builders LLC online at owenbuildersllc.com. they got a gallery of all their work online at, again, owenbuildersllc.com. Finally, Campus Town Street Fest is Saturday, uh, September 9th, so this Saturday, from 1 to 7 on what looks to be a beautiful September day with live music, vendors, food, the chow down in campus town, they're calling it. That's Saturday from 1 to 7, brought to you by Champagne Center Partnership, JSM Living, and the City of Champagne. Champagne Showers Podcast Network, appreciate them and appreciate you for listening. Ratings and reviews always help out on Apple Podcasts. Got a few in the last week. The more, the merrier, even just a review. And if you really don't like us and you're hate listening, we'll take a one-star review too. That's fine. All right, everybody, we're back Friday. It's going to be me and Isaac. Trevor has a trip that he's got this weekend. Isaac and I will be here for the entire second half. It's going to be a long one. Hopefully, it's going to be a an exciting one that we can end that podcast talking about a 2-0 football team. I understand why people would be reluctant for it, and there's a reason the line in Vegas is what it is. But keep this in mind. I think the old rule of thumb is that usually home teams are good for three points in football. And the spread right now sits at three and a half. This is kind of a wash in terms of a matchup, which tells me it really just comes down to which team, well, this is analysis right here, plays better. I'd like to think that we take a step up from what we did against Toledo, and I just have this gut feeling they will. But hey, I had a gut feeling we'd beat Toledo by two scores. In fairness, if they would have just played clean, they might have. 
but maybe it's beneficial that they didn't play their cleanest game and they'll be laser focused on what is a huge, huge game in Kansas. So hopefully we have some fun. I know we'll have fun regardless, but man, if they win, what a Friday night that would be. So we'll see you Friday night for a live YouTube stream with me and Isaac. In the meantime, everybody have a great rest of your short work week and we'll see you Friday night at let's say about eight o'clock. Take care, everybody. It is the 200 level.